at this point in time, virtual events are really kind of new to everybody. There are people who have been doing them for a while, but this is like, we've got the whole world in there experimenting with virtual events and very few people who are experts. So the audiences are so forgiving right now. And you can try anything. I mean, it's it's an amazing, amazing point in time when we can experiment. And if we get stuff wrong, it's not a big deal. We just learn from it and move on. Hey, TEDx organizers. This is Jay Harati, and you're listening to Solving for X, our podcast for the TEDx community. Today, I'm here with Kelly Stetzel. She's the head of conferences for TED. She's been with us since 2004, and today she oversees all of TED conferences. During the recent pandemic, Kelly worked with her team to pivot from an in-person conference in Vancouver to the very first virtual TED conference. Kelly's here to talk us through the different pieces of that conference, how we created opportunities for interaction, and tips on what worked, and more importantly, what didn't. Talking to Kelly for me is always fun, and today it's also really insightful. So let's jump right in. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to Solving for X. Hi, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you back to talk about the virtual TED 2020. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm excited to be here and share some of the things we have been learning over the last intense few months. First, maybe you can give us an overview of what is the new virtual TED 2020. Everybody knows that normally the annual TED conference is five days long in Vancouver. Uh, it starts like normally on a Monday and it ends on a Friday. And this one is very, very different. Can you give an overview of the structure? Sure. Well, we really wanted to keep people with us and thought a lot about how we could give them really good value. So we ended up planning an eight-week conference. So we have live things happening every weekday for a full eight weeks. This is, we're halfway through right now. Today marks the halfway point. And so the way we've divided up our content is that Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays are programming called Build Back Better. And that is kind of more timely topics where the speaker is interviewed by one person from our team, and then also the community gets the chance to ask questions. And then on Thursdays, we do what we think of as a typical TED session, maximum 75 minutes. Usually they're about an hour and they have kind of normal programming that you'd see in a TED session plus performance. And sometimes there is a community activity ahead of that and also after that. And then Friday, today, is what we call Community Day. And that is discovery sessions, which are kind of like workshops and speaker meetups and a chance to kind of engage with other attendees around some content in smaller groups. And doing that for eight weeks, that sounds a little bit crazy, no? I mean, how did you react when you were like, (laughs) let's do a conference and we'll do it for eight weeks five days a week. Like, how did you feel about it at first? What are you feeling now? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I think, you know, the the thing that was really, really important is we had to make this an incredible experience for people who had paid to come to this five-day in-person conference. So like, we're going to do what we got to do. You know, we really thought a lot about what format we thought would work for 
most people coming to most things. Not everybody comes to everything all week because it is a lot to ask of people's hmm. time. But what's yeah. been really interesting, we also send a survey at the end of every week and we get feedback. So we're kind of constantly looking at things and tweaking them. And it does feel like things are getting better and better. And we're able to really react to people's ideas. Hmm. So I guess the the unusual situation here, which would not be relevant for TEDx organizers, is that you were starting off with the number of sessions and the number of talks that normally take place in Vancouver, and then you transferred them online and you had to spread them over eight weeks, just knowing that people's attention level expires at around an hour. Yeah. <laughs> is that, that's, is that, would that true. be fair to describe it that way? Yeah, that's absolutely right. and, fair to say. <laughs> and the answer was eight weeks. Yeah. Um, so now you're four <laughs> weeks into it. Um, what was the most important thing that you wanted to get across from a physical environment to a virtual environment? I think one of the most important things in the physical environment is community. I mean, it's, you know, alongside the speakers, the community and connecting around the talks and the ideas is so, so, so important. And that was also one of the biggest challenges we were going to face. So we really have been looking at the virtual event and thinking about all the ways in which we can sort of help people connect in either small groups or in you know, one-on-ones, so that people will leave this event having made some sort of new relationship. Yeah, because that's the beautiful thing about TED, right? When you bring ideas and people together in a room, then then the magic happens. So talk to us about some of these opportunities for interaction. Yeah, so we have our discovery sessions, which they can be anything from developing forests was one we had last week that was really popular. We dug in with an epidemiologist to science around COVID. And we have today one that's happening that's kind of a virtual PE or physical education with Anthony Veneziale, who's who leads amazing improv workshops. So hmm. it's kind of a whole spectrum of like deep learning and fun and play. Are they smaller in, in nature? Like how many people yeah, come to I a mean, discovery session? So they range from anywhere between like 10 people to 40. And then we have speaker meetups where the speakers from the Thursday sessions are available either the Thursday following the session or on Friday. And people can go and ask them questions in a smaller group. Um, about the talk that they gave. About the talk that they gave. Exactly. Uh, the people who host the discovery sessions, are they also speakers or can they be different people who are not? Yeah, it's mainly, I mean, it can be speakers, but it's mainly former speakers or members of the community. We just put a call out to the people coming and ask them to propose discovery sessions. And then we worked with them to help make sure that they were developing something that would be broadly appealing, that wasn't, you know, promotional, that would really, really engage people. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about these sessions, both the discovery sessions and the speaker meetups. I know that for TEDx organizers, and I know for us too, uh, when we when I organize TED Fest, for example, it's always hard to to do a lot of breakouts for your audience because you need a lot of small breakout rooms, <laughs> and uh, that tends to make that's kind of like a big requirement for your venue. But what's nice about a virtual event is that you can have as many breakouts as you think you can keep them interesting and people might be interested in coming. And then you don't necessarily need to limit it at 10. If there's like people want to do 30 or 40 people show up or 10 people show up, you're not worried about room capacity and how many chairs, I guess, I guess in some ways the logistically it's a much easier thing to do after you've done the programming. It is, but it's also challenging because you don't, you want to make sure you have enough people there that it's, it's super engaging. You don't want to have so many that people don't have a chance to talk. And because people can either 
you know, you're either in or you're out. It's, it's, you know, not like you're actually in a physical room where if you decide to leave, you have to sort of, you know, it's, it's obvious. So I think just managing that is something we've also been learning a lot about, like how do we get the right number of people in there for each one? So what have you learned? What were the lessons in terms of keeping small discussion groups um, engaging and, and rightly populated? I feel like 20 people in a room works pretty well. There's like in we, we another thing that we've been doing that I've been sort of more involved with in is organizing a couple of social hours. So we do that sometimes uh, before the Thursday evening session or afterwards um, where we get together and have a discussion around a topic. And in that, I've found them to be really really bonding with about 20 people where you don't have to use some of the tools that exist within Zoom to like manage a crowd. Mm. You know, you have to be very thoughtful about how you're going to do it and going in and, and managing the conversation because another weird thing is it's conversation is binary. Only one person can talk and you can't have a side conversation. So managing the flow of discussion is just, it's like a little something different to get used to. So those are kind of three different ways of socializing, right? You've got the discovery sessions, you've got the speaker meetups, and you've got the social hour. They're all basically breakouts, but they, I guess you package them differently? That's right, they are. And then another thing that we've been doing that's been really interesting to watch evolve over the four weeks is that we have a main chat in the interactive portion of our platform so that when people are watching, they can comment on the discussion and as people have become more comfortable in there, they've been doing things like sharing studies to back up what a speaker's talking about, or someone will look up something the speaker mentions and provide the link in there. And that's been really effective because mm. people can go back and dig into it later. And I think had we known in advance how that could work, we could have come in really prepared to get it to that level ahead of time, just even by you know, picking someone from your team who types quickly to kind of provide resources or even commentary along the way. That's been a great way for people to sort of get to know each other. People are funny in there and it's kind of like having a side conversation while you're watching. Yeah, that's nice. And I noticed that because some of the speakers talks were pre-recorded, while the talk was playing, the speaker was able to engage in that chat as well. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. And that, that's been amazing um, because people are then feeling like, in a way, too, with this format, a lot more people get to connect with the speaker in a way than, than they would if they were just like passing them in the hallway and introducing themselves and shaking their hand. And one more thing we did for interaction was the idea dating. Tell us about that. Okay, this is my favorite thing. <laughs> I love it so much. So you say you want to go on an idea speed date, and it's not actual dating. Um, and you can choose a topic. Or you can say, I'll talk about anything. What are some of the topics, for example? Um, we started out with actually specific questions. And that we struggled with that because I think people were kind of unwilling to commit to something that specific. So then we've pulled back and have made it broad, like technology or science or something like that. And then at the bottom, it says, I'll talk about anything, which is usually what I choose. And I think most people have been choosing that too. Then you get paired with this person and you go into kind of like a Zoom one-on-one -on -one with a countdown clock. And it lasts five minutes. We've tested some different links and it turns out five minutes feels about right to have a back and forth to get to know a few things about each other. And then it just times out and then you're finished. So you, mm -hmm. you which is really, it's important to watch it because it gets awkward if you just get cut off and you think, oh no. Yeah. Um, but 
watching the time five minutes feels about right. And it's, it's been this amazing way to get to know people individually that I kind of don't think you can do in person very easily. I mean, it's, it's pretty rare that you have a one-on-one conversation for a short amount of time where you're able to really focus on just each other and then move on. And so I kind of feel like through this, Ted, I have gotten to know more new people in kind of like a little bit deeper way than I would have if it had been in person. And and really even at four weeks now, I think I've met more people than I would have at a TED in person. So that's great. A few things about that. That was such a unique experience. The first thing I wanted to mention for TEDx organizers to know is that the reason you kind of chuckled when you said it's not dating, it's idea dating, was because there was a general misunderstanding amongst the uh, the audience and the participants that they thought this was speed dating. And they felt if they were already coupled, they didn't want to do it because they, they were not looking to date. And so we had to uh, <laughs> reposition it and clarify that this was not speed dating. This was an idea dates. I did it and I agree with you, Kelly. It's delightful. It's kind of surprisingly delightful. Uh, to be talking to somebody. And I did not notice that the clock was about to hit five minutes. <laughs> so when it did, it was nice that I had a, a way of contacting the other person. Um, but uh, but you quickly learned to watch the clock. And then the last thing to say to TEDxers is if this idea intrigues you, we do have a member of our team who is looking at all kind of interesting technology for you to be able to do things like that on Zoom. Um, there is a particular plugin app that you can add to Zoom called Donut, D-O-N-U-T, which allows you to do um, one-on-one random matching of your audience for something like this. So uh, go to the hub and look at the playbook that we created and you'll see some recommendations there. So I think that's it on interactivity, Kelly. Let's talk a little bit about hosting in, in the process. Hosting in a virtual setting is dramatically different than in physical space. You are the host extraordinaire at TED. You were my first co-host when you hosted uh, TED Active and invited me to co-host with you. And I I still come to you uh, for lessons. But how is it different? What are you and Helen and Chris and I guess a bunch of people uh, been hosting? What are we learning? Yeah, and I actually haven't hosted yet. I have my first session that I'm hosting coming up in two weeks. Um, but having talked to them a lot about this and um, and watched and sort of hosting some of these social hours, I mean, the number one thing I'll say that I think is probably a challenge for some and an opportunity for some is, you know, if you're used to hosting your own events, then you know about how it feels to stand up in front of an audience and to get that visual feedback from people's eyes. So it feels a little bit more like you're having a conversation. Now that's stressful for some people. And for some, it's a little bit more relaxing. Like for me, I find it so hard to be on a laptop and not really looking Mm -hmm. at anyone and then sort of hosting them all. And there are a bunch of people Mm -hmm. out there. So I think that's a kind of an an interesting challenge and something just to prepare for because it can throw posts off, I think, a little bit if they're not ready for that. Another thing about hosting is we're all used to in a live event, you know, you have to kill time for a band to set up and and there's just, there's a little bit more breathing room. Um, In this case, I think we're finding it works better to sort of scale back the hosting time and make it so much about, um, it always really is about the speakers, but they just need less sort of guidance through the session from the host. Um, You know, of course, you want to provide like a 
warm reception for your speakers and you want to thank them and provide context when you need to and stuff. But there just really isn't as much gluing together needed by the hosts. Keep it tight. Yeah, keep it tight. Basically the lesson, yeah. Keep it tight. And one thing that I observed, and I don't know that that this is being experienced by the hosts, but I feel like they're sitting alone right now it's in their homes but in a studio and you don't have that one-on-one interaction and so it's really hard to feel the emotion of the audience either the emotion that just came off from the talk or the applause when you come on you don't hear laughter you don't see smiling faces you don't see emotional faces you kind of just have to conjure all this emotion yourself at home at a desk it seems to me like it's really hard as an experience i think you're right and hosts have sort of struggled with that they, and the way that we're doing it, we do actually have audience reactions, but I think it's kind of hard for them to see that, you know, where, where the audience can put hearts or clap by clicking on a button. You know, I think some of the hosts that I've talked to have just sort of figured out how to get used to it. But I, I also think one thing that may be helpful is, um, is last night the session was co-hosted with Chris and Sarah Kay, and Sarah Kay is a friend of mine, and we were like chatting a little bit between speakers and I could talk about what's happening and it was a way of staying connected I think so that's something to think about and I sometimes slack with Helen when she's on stage and and will say hey this is happening in the chat you might want to shout out about the person who said this um, mm. so that kind of I think helps smooth that difference a little bit that's a really that is a really nice thing to do and when they do it even though I'm not the person making the comment I feel good because they're acknowledging a member of the audience and I feel like I'm a member of the audience. Also, I'm thinking about that person. They must be really happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just mentioned the applause that they see on screen. Can you describe that feature on the TED Interactive stage? Yeah, so we have kind of four emojis on our platform. We have a heart, we have clapping hands, we have uh, a light bulb that kind of represents like an idea or you can use it to say, whoa, that blew my mind. And then we have the laughing face. And so people click on those emojis to react and it's it's been really effective and then we can all see you know their little face like from their name badge picture will sort of floats up so we can see who just hearted something i mean whether we know them or not you know a lot of times you don't know the people but you kind of put a face to the person who's clapping um so that's been kind of a fun way and you can sort of get people's journeys uh, you know follow along people's journeys you're like watching with them when a speaker says something really powerful and you thought it was powerful, you can look and see that a lot of other people did too. So that's a really nice connecting element for mm. for the audience watching the talk. And then also that group chat that I mentioned, when a speaker finishes, so many people will go in there and kind of say like, great talk, Jay. It meant a lot to me when you said this, or or they'll, they'll requote um, something the speaker said throughout the talk. And so that's kind of like clapping in a way too. And some of the speakers are in that chat too. Sometimes they react and say, thanks so much. That's, that's really meaningful, hmm. you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's nice. It's, it's, it's like, it's like an applause, but it, in some ways it's more powerful when people just retype a sentence that really touched them. Mm-hmm. I know from seeing that, like, I was like, oh Yeah. I, if I didn't pick up that sentence myself, I was like, they're right. Like, this was a really st- strong point. So it's great for the speaker and it's great for other members. It's 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 richer uh, than just the applause sign, which I enjoyed as well. 
So Kelly, let's talk a little bit about the main stage session on uh, that goes on on Thursday evenings, the New York time. That's it. As a reminder to our listeners, that's the one hour and 15 minutes of what feels like a TED session mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with mostly pre-recorded talks that are being premiered uh, during that evening. We also mix in uh, music and interstitials. Can you talk a little bit about how what has been the creative approach to the that session as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think that session is put together in a really similar way to how we would put together a session in person, which is, you know, takes people on a journey. And so music plays such an important part in that. You know, if you have a talk that's especially heady and people need sort of a mental shift after that, that's a great place to put music. But at the same time, it's really not just a palate cleanser. I feel like especially in the virtual format, it helps create that emotional journey in such an intimate way. You know, I don't know how many of y'all have had the chance to watch music on line while we've been quarantined, but I've watched a lot because I've been so into the intimacy level of it. Like, it's just so amazing to see a musician performing something from their living room or from their home studio, and they're just kind of doing it for you, and it feels like it's just for you. And I think that's a really, it makes that such a special part of these sessions. Hmm. And then you asked about interstitials too. Those I think we have really used kind of in more of a way of a palate cleanser when we meet together in person. And they have a really big place in this programming too. And it's kind of a similar one to music, only they're typically shorter. You know, we're talking about the short videos that are probably like a minute long, maybe two minutes long. Um, we have this video series that's pretty great TED video series called There's a Poem for That. And like poetry works beautifully. Mm. And these are animated poems that are delivered by spoken word artists. Um, And so that can work really beautifully to just sort of set the scene. And it's kind of like music in a way, like it lets people use a different part of their brain, but just sort of you're like, you're looking at beautiful visuals that are not a person standing there talking and just you kind of get taken away by the words. I'm so glad you mentioned that as an example because the poems worked for me more in this setting than they do on stage because there's actually visual aids to help me take in the poem. Most of the interstitials you've used, you also had the words um, kind of captioned or illustrated, and you also had other drawings that came with it, and the, the poet is reading the poem. And so all of a sudden I could understand i could take in a lot more other than just seeing somebody read a poem this was an example for me of it works much better uh when you do something in a video format than if you just do a a reading on stage well that's a really good point i even shed a tear or two i must confess i'm not a big crier but uh, rarely it happens rarely it happens right (laughs) exactly Um, You know, you mentioned earlier the intimacy of uh, when you spoke about the musicians of how how intimate it is to see them in their living room. Um, That's been really kind of a broader theme, wasn't it? Uh, Because a lot of the speakers gave their direct-to-camera talks from various situations um, <laughs> that are very intimate. We never get to see speakers. They, you know, they, they put on an outfit, they come to the red carpet. We don't see where they live and how they live. Yeah, that's been amazing because it's, yeah. you know, in a way, 
we're limited by the stage. You know, it gives us lots of opportunities, but this has just been this incredible chance. You know, you're just, you're looking into a speaker's home or their workplace. And that there's something about that too, that I think just even in a straightforward way, that's really interesting and special. And it's just like, you're getting to go in their private space and pick up some visual cues. Like there have been even discussions about what books were on Jane Goodall's bookshelf in the, in the group chat during yeah. the, during her talk. Uh, I think it was actually an artwork on her wall, but then also we had one speaker who does a lot of stuff on YouTube, actually did it in front of a green screen. And then, then there was this like really lovely moment at the end where you could actually see the green screen and you saw her mm-hmm. in her own environment. The team working on this has done some stuff where they'll put in some special staging, but then also they make a lot of effort to keep it intimate and to, sh- to show what they're doing, I think, with it too. Yeah, no, it makes it uh, very, very special. Kelly, it's been uh, four weeks, and I know it's been um, not easy with some things that worked really well and some things that didn't work so well. So let's talk a little bit about the struggles, and then we'll (laughs) talk a little bit about the delights. What what are you still struggling with? For me, I'm like obsessed right now with the connection between the offstage programming and the stage. So I'm really thinking about, I mean, we, we do have plenty of people doing our offstage experiences. I want to make sure everyone goes to an offstage experience at least once to just get to engage with other people. It's not like in a place that's wrong right now, but it's, a, it's an area where I think we can do better. So I think we're really, really looking at how do we do that. We've been experimenting a lot, too, with what we can do. We have this area called the hub, and it's where we have, like, exhibits and different interactive things. So it's also pretty low stakes in a way. So we can we can um, try things out in there and put them kind of maybe lower down on the page and just see if people are interested in them and if, if they work or not. Um, you know, one of our most popular things to do in person is to have a photo booth. So we've we put in this a virtual photo booth and are are kind of still trying out different things with that to see how do we most get people to engage there. Hmm, that's a really cool one. For many of these things, like the photo booth example, one of the things you'll find on the TEDx Hub in our playbook is a tool that you can buy off the shelf that works within Zoom that you can do a photo booth experience. So a lot of the things that Kelly is talking about are part of a proprietary virtual theater that our amazing TED team has built so, so fast. Um, But many of these things, uh, including the place to do the video, a chat room, a way to do breakouts, while those are not easily available for you in one place, um, some combination of Zoom with some additional widgets or maybe something on YouTube works well for the TEDx community. And we have all that information for you uh, on the TEDx Hub on a, in our virtual event planning guide section. So be sure to look for that. Okay, Kelly, so those are the things that we're still experimenting with. What delighted you the most, that kind of surprised you? I've loved just the ways that we've been able to think about talks differently and and really like play around with the speakers and their environments and what they look like and the format that in which they give a talk. And in some ways for them too, what's nice is, I mean, I guess they have that same issue that hosts have where they don't have an audience of people in front of them. 
So for some, that is, you know, they, they miss having the human connection there. But for others, it makes them feel more comfortable and they can, I don't know, mess around with the format a little bit more. So I think that's been really neat. And then I think also just the connection with other people. That's something that I was so, so, so nervous about being able to, you know, support people getting to meet each other and to see old friends and and um, just watching how that has actually worked has been, you know, pretty special. Hmm. And the nice thing for you, I'm sure if you've observed what, what I have, is that it looks like from week to week, as members of our audience become more familiar with the platform and kind of get used to what a virtual TED looks like, it looks like there's more engagement and conversation and chatter uh, in in the chat area and then some other things as well. It's almost like it took them a couple of weeks to get into it and then it's it's going up every week, which is a really good way for it to go. Yeah, and it feels like people are kind of getting to know each other a little bit that way too, sort of getting making right. friendships and getting comfortable with each other. So you mentioned adding some things on throughout the eight weeks. Is there anything else that you are going to be experimenting with in the next week or two? Oh, yes. Um, we're, well, we've got a lot of things coming up. But one thing that I'm really excited about is that we, we're working with someone who developed the software who is a you know part of the TED community. It's not available out in the world yet. But it kind of it creates this mingling experience where people can kind of get to know each other and it's audio only. So there's no video and you, hmm. you, you go there and you kind of show up in this world and a, you can sort of virtually walk up to people. And as you get closer, their sound gets louder. And so it works hmm. socially a little bit more like a party would where you can like wander up to some people and introduce yourself. And then you can be like, all right, I'm going to just move right along now and move over to some other people hmm. without having to be like, I'm in or I'm out. When are you trying that out? That sounds a little bit psychedelic, kind of amazing, a little bit scary, a little bit it's, freaky. It's a tough one to explain. It's so cool, though. Um, I'm not sure exactly. We're we're still um, we're working with their team to put some finishing touches on it to make it kind of go with the whole TED vibe, and hopefully rolling it out in the next week or two. But but really, um, I guess what 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 I'm hearing is that it's easier to experiment when you're doing a virtual event. Most TEDxers are not going to be doing an eight-week event, but many of them are doing a series of events. So they are doing mm -hmm. like a, an hour every month. And there's a, there's a lot of room for trying things out. And uh, you, can, you can try something new. If it doesn't work, you don't bring it back. The next time you can try something again. So... I wish you good luck with all these experiments and thank you for sharing early learnings with us. Maybe one more big takeaway to share with the TEDx community. At this point in time, virtual events are really kind of new to everybody. There are people who have been doing them for a while, but this is like, we've got the whole world in there experimenting with virtual events and very few people who are experts. So the audiences are so forgiving right now. And you can try anything. I mean, it's, a, it's mm. an amazing, amazing point in time when we can experiment. And if we get stuff wrong, it's not a big deal. We just learn from it and move on because everyone's learning. And so the chance of creating a better event by experimenting is, is like so much greater, you know, that you can, you can do something better by really messing around and trying out new things that work because there's just 
people really don't know. And so I think for us, it's been energizing, fun. We've learned a lot by getting to try stuff and just see what works. Well, that works really, really well, Kelly, with what we've recently shared with TEDx organizers as well. You know, normally TEDx organizers are very concerned about the rules because the program has kind of very strict things of you can, you know, what you can do and what you cannot do, but there's a lot of room to innovate within those rules. Uh, but when we kicked off uh, virtual TEDx events, we told everybody, experiment away, you know, just try things out. Don't worry about what what we've done before. And that fits really nicely in the spirit of what you've just expressed. Well, that's pretty great. I cannot wait to hear some of the great ideas that TEDxers come up with. Well, we'll be sure to come back and not just tell you about them, but we're going to brag about them too. We're watching really closely what the community is doing and they're already doing some pretty amazing things. So Kelly, thank you so, so much. I know how how crazy your life has been. Uh, In addition to everything that's going on in the world, you are producing a conference um, for eight weeks. Uh, We really, really appreciate the time that you've given the TEDx community. Well, thank you so much for having me. I adore the TEDxers and anything for TEDx. Thank you, Kelly. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Solving for X. Let's continue the conversation on the TEDx Hub where you'll find additional resources on this topic. And when you're there, you can also share your insights or ask questions. This episode was produced with love by Bianca de Jesus, recorded by Taylor Stemley, and edited by Mickey Capper. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Solving for X channel wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And of course, on the TEDx Hub. Thank you for listening to Solving for X, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>